Hi, this is Audrey Blair, and you're listening to the Change is Hard podcast, episode eight. So I just got a hilarious scammer call. My phone rang, and usually it does a decent job of saying, you know, scam likely. But the number came through. I wasn't sure. There was the slight possibility that it could be a legit call, but I knew going in it probably wasn't. Anyway, I felt a little bit cantankerous, so I answered the call. And immediately he goes into, hey, we have a package that's waiting to be delivered to your address from Publishers Clearinghouse. And I said, what? I said, what address? What's my address? Where, where is this? He goes, why are you doubting? Why are you doubting me? Anyway, I'll spare you all the details. But at some point, I just started busting out laughing. And I think it threw him off a little bit. And he was like, well, why are you laughing? I said, really? Publishers Clearinghouse? Like, do people... I said, if you're going to scam people, you're going to need to update some stuff. And he was like, have you never heard of Publishers Clearinghouse? I said, yeah, like 40 years ago, dude. Like, seriously, what do people, are people really falling for this? And you have a package waiting to be delivered to my house? Anyway, threw him off. And then he started trying to hit on me like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a husband? And I was like, listen, I have work to get to. This has been fun. But uh, I have to go now, and we parted ways. So anyway, just be careful. Now, what was actually scary is that the information he had on me was correct. He did tell me what my zip code was. He couldn't tell me my address, but he did tell me what my zip code was. And there's some, there's a couple of videos on YouTube that show you how these scammers work. And I could hear his buddy in the room telling him and coaching him on what to say, like, oh, ask for this person, ask for this person. And he actually said my husband's name. So the data that he has is legit, whatever he does have. So from that perspective, it was a little bit scary, but I just couldn't help myself. And I did throw him off because I was laughing so hard. Anyway, so again, be careful with your and the scammers calling your phone, they are real, they are legit, they are out there, and there's probably more and more of them every single day. Okay, so one of the topics that I emphasize quite a lot, especially with my clients, is how you show up. And we talk about when you show up differently, people treat you differently. I mean, you can't, you can't change other people. We know that. But when you show up in a different way, it kind of forces the issue that they have to respond in a different way or they choose to respond in a different way. And I actually believe that how you show up is a result of your confidence and self-esteem. I think your confidence and self-esteem is a result of your self-awareness, mindfulness, experience, and very importantly, understanding your value. And today I want to talk about a particular attitude. Actually, no, it's not an attitude. It's more of a mindset that I don't think is very effective when it comes to your work. And it shows up quite a lot. I've had multiple conversations where people have brought this up. I've had clients show up with this mindset. And it really doesn't matter what position or status they have in the organization. And that mindset is... 
I just don't want to get fired. Most of us don't want to get fired, but it's that mindset, that constant approaching things in a way of, I just don't want to get fired. Another version that I think comes from a very similar place is I just have to prove myself. This one in particular mostly shows up when people are in a new role, a team or an organization, and maybe at a critical time of change. Yes, I am aware that a lot of job descriptions say things like we need somebody who can come in and hit the ground running. But coming in and hitting the ground running is very different than coming in and proving yourself. Hitting the ground running means, hey, they've hired you, so they're assuming you can do the job, and they're just expecting you to show up and get it done. Not so much to prove yourself, but do what we hired you to do. Just last week, I was actually talking to a good friend, and she was planning her next steps. Um, She's thinking about leaving her current organization. And she started talking about how she can't look now because wherever she lands, the first six months need to be dedicated and focused on proving herself. And she started talking about working extra hard and doing all these things to prove, prove, prove. And I was thinking, well, what exactly are you trying to prove? There's already going to be a pretty steep learning curve around the role, the culture, the people, maybe where you fit. Why in the world do you want to add the pressure of trying to prove yourself in that scenario? And imagine instead of going in to prove yourself, you stepped in with, hey, I understand what I'm bringing to this scenario. I understand what, I'm, what my value is in this situation. And you hit the ground running with that attitude versus this, I need to prove myself attitude. Just think about that. Which one allows you to show up in a way that is more powerful, more confident, more open to the situation, more curious to what's going on around you? And by the way, this is not limited to a situation when you're just starting in a new role. I was working with a client recently who's been at their organization for 15 or 20 years and still has this mindset of trying to overcome the idea of trying to prove themselves. So starting out in that way typically means you're going to continue in that vein. You're going to continue with this constant, I need to prove, I need to prove, and it absolutely gets in the way. So let's, uh, let's take a moment and think about this and break it down. When we're having thoughts of, I just don't want to get fired, or I just need to prove myself, I want you to take a moment and think about how are you actually showing up? Can you do your best work under this pressure? First of all, when we are repeating things like this, our brains don't necessarily distinguish between the negative and the positive. It's basically focusing on the getting fired part. You can let go of that, I don't want to. It just knows where your focus is. So when your focus is getting fired, that's where your brain is going to look for evidence that this is true. And sometimes it will, it will actually help you figure out how to accomplish this goal. And it shows up occasionally when you make a silly mistake and you're thinking, how in the world did I do that? Or why did I do that? Someone that I was working with had this mindset. And it was so pervasive. Everything they did was under this this fear of getting fired. And it interrupted so much. They They couldn't present well without 
thinking about this. They couldn't show up to meetings anytime their boss wanted to have a conversation with them. It was this, uh-oh. And it prevented them from showing up in a way that actually showed what their value is. Eventually, unfortunately, they did ultimately get laid off and let go. Because if you don't believe that you should be there or can do the job, how can you expect someone else to believe that for you? Number two, that persistent worry is creating this psychological stress for you. And that stress is triggering your brain to be on the, be on the lookout. Your amygdala is like, hey, high alert. And it sends out the bat signal. And then it's like, okay, we need to buckle down and we need to go into survival mode. As if you were in a life-threatening situation all the time. All day long, life-threatening, which we don't even have time to get into what that does to your body and all the pressures and the sleepless nights and high blood pressure and all the things physically that it causes. But one of the other things that we're all very familiar with, or most of us are familiar familiar with, is that it, it triggers that fight or flight, freeze or fawn response. Again, is it possible to do your best work when you're under that constant stress. How do you handle feedback or input when you are in fight mode? (laughs) You probably fight it. You might get defensive. Just the other day, I was working with someone, a client who mentioned her, her boss, who's relatively new to the organization, is an executive in the org, but is a bit defensive. And so now we were spending our time working, working on how to manage up to deal with this defensiveness and work around how he shows up to meetings. Particularly when you're leading others, not only do you block yourself, you also create barriers for your team in the way that they show up. You're not creating that safe space to to allow them to do their best work. And this happens quite a lot. So what are some practical things you can do to help to reframe or shift this way of thinking. It may not exactly be, I don't want to get fired or I just need to prove myself, but there's might be some variation of that going on. Figure out what that is and where that's stemming from. One of the first things you can do is to work on approaching situations with openness instead of trying to anticipate everything. When you're going into meetings, you've done your preparation, Now let it go and trust yourself to handle whatever comes up. You'll be surprised at how things flow. You'll be surprised at maybe some of the the questions that uh, get triggered. You might be surprised at how uh, things might get solved more quickly. And it's okay if you don't necessarily have the specific answer to a specific question that comes up. This is also true when it comes to one-on-one situations. And they are very critical conversations, but maybe approach them with a little bit more curiosity and openness. I'll give you an example. I had a client who was working with her. She had a team, a pretty relatively large team, and they had uh, meetings, quite a few meetings together with the team or the weekly team meeting. I'll just use that as an example. This team member would come to the meetings, but didn't engage very much. He wouldn't really speak up at all. 
he wouldn't turn on his camera and the culture in the in the organization was hey come to meetings and you know as, as much as you can have your camera on because you know we're in this virtual world so we want to at least try and see each other and he just didn't have a whole lot to say and some of the other team members said something and and the director also had mentioned it because there was a there's a monthly meeting that they all go to and um it was called out that this person didn't didn't engage very much so she starts panicking thinking oh no this is making me look bad this is making the team look bad where are they are they thinking about quitting what's going on so we just worked on first of all just calming that brain and trying to anticipate and we talked about let's just go in with curiosity and openness and present the situation to him and see what he says so here's a situation when we're in meetings I noticed that, and here's the behavior, you don't show up, you don't turn your camera on, you don't engage, and then ask him, what's up? What's going on? See what he says. And what happened was none of the things that she thought was going on was actually going on. He just didn't know. (laughs) He just didn't know that that was the expectation. It was never really clearly laid out for him. The other thing is he felt like He couldn't, in some meetings, that he just couldn't get a word in edgewise. The team was made up of quite a few people that were quicker to respond, who maybe uh, processed their thinking out loud, and he was more of an internal processor. So by the time he actually got to the point where he had something to say, there were so many things that already said that he felt like, gosh, I just don't have much to add. So what this also did for her is it made her rethink how she ran her team meetings. She realized that she wasn't actually creating space for everyone in the, me- in the meeting to have their voice heard if they desire. So it actually helped in both ways. It helped her to set the expectation for him. So now he's more clear. He shows up, he has his camera on. And he is a little bit more intentional about saying things, but she also is more intentional about creating a space so that those in the team have an opportunity to share some thoughts and ideas so that their voices are heard. And that's the difference between going in and coming down on somebody and pointing the finger at them about why they're not doing anything versus being curious and asking them, hey, here's this behavior, what's going on? So approaching situations with openness instead of of anticipating. The next thing is take some time and think about what you want. And what I mean by this, instead of thinking about what you don't want, it always amazes me when I ask the question, what do you want? And whatever the scenario is, the first thing out of people's mouths are, well, I know I don't want, and they have a list of any number of things that they know that they don't want. And I go, okay, that's great, but what then do you want? And they're often stumped and they can't really answer the question and it takes time. Even if it's small things, I wanna show up to this meeting with calm. I wanna show up in this meeting with a, a different kind of presence. This allows your brain to focus on what you do actually want. And then it will start doing the work for you subconsciously and helping you figure out how to get it. And then finally, I would go through a process or find a process to figure out your unique value proposition. 
this is life-changing, I think, for, uh, for myself in particular, and it's something, it's a workshop that I have that I do with clients, uh, my long-term clients, as well as a standalone workshop. I call it Redesign You. And you can get more information uh, on that, about that on my website, and I can throw some things in, in show notes about it. But the Redesign You process is so mind-changing, it shifts the way a lot of people see themselves and how they approach, especially their job situations. I've used it for people that are looking for new roles and they get nervous about not being able to check all the boxes when it comes to skill set when they're trying to apply for something. And they're then able to, to take what they do bring and the skill set that they do have and add an extra layer for them to understand what their value proposition is and how they show up in that interview is very, very different than trying to defend why they don't have a certain skill set. It helps to shift other kinds of conversations as well. My background is I spent over 20 years in, in IT and I have various roles in consulting and leading and implementation. And I never necessarily wanted to be a full-on developer or get so much in the weeds with the technology. I wanted to be that bridge between the technology and business. But I would often get stuck in trying to choose one side or the other. But I figured out at some point my unique value is I can take the understanding of technology, synthesize it, package it up and deliver it to business so that they understand the importance, the value, the ROI, the benefits of what IT is actually doing. And that's something that I was able to bring with me so then I wouldn't get so caught up in the skill of this particular code or implementing this particular software. I can learn that, that part is easy. Those skills are teachable, they're learnable. The value that you add on top of that that is all yours. Now, it may not be the, you might not be the only person with that value, sure, but you are the only person and the way you bring it might be different than someone else. When I was in corporate and making that transition to coaching and, and having my own business, I had to go through this process. And it, it, it's a scary, it's not a scary process. It, it really forces you to think about what needs to shift. And my value proposition in corporate is very different than what I bring to my space as a coach and also different than what I bring to the space when I'm, as I'm trying to continue to build this business. But one of the things that I love that I am able to provide is the space for my clients, for them to be their complete and whole selves. That to me is invaluable. And for them to be able to be vulnerable and break down in the ways that sometimes they can break down and share some of the thoughts that they have that they haven't had another place to be able to do that, I treasure that. And I will continue to build on that competency when it comes to creating that space for clients so they can then grow and be empowered to do amazing things outside of that space. I invite you, please, to find something. Again, I have something that I think works wonderfully. In fact, I'm working on an episode where I've asked some old clients that have gone through that workshop to just give a little bit of a snippet about how they used it, what the value it is for them. And I'm gonna compile that and create an episode specifically for that. And I guess the final thought is before you go into any particular situation, think about what is my mode 
What am I thinking? And is this what I want to bring into the room? And see if you can make a small shift. Even if it's just that, let me be a little bit more open. And you'll be amazed. I promise you, I promise you things will be different. I promise you that responses will be different. I promise you that you will be different, but it certainly takes time. Mindset and the skill and building the competency is something that takes time and it takes practice. All right, that's what I have for you today. Thanks so much for stopping by. It has been a pleasure as always, and I'll see you next time.